Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month's special guest is Alex West, Director of Research at Ann Arbor Spark. Alex discusses what data she tracks, how she maintains it, and how she shares this information with stakeholders. She also offers some advice on how people can get started tracking data at their own organization. Here are Alex's Economic Development Secrets. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Well, can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Of course. Okay. So um, my CEO here at Ann Arbor Spark always likes to say, if you've met one economic developer or development organization, you've only met one economic developer or economic development organization. <laughs> so there's always a lot of uh, differences between them. So this is true for me as well. Um, I'm originally from California. I went to UC Berkeley and I studied Italian literature, which always surprises people. <laughs> that was my major. Um, I wanted to live abroad, so I figured that would be the easiest way to do that. And uh, later I went directly to um, my master's degree in international policy studies. Um, at the it's a Monterey Institute of International Studies, which I think they call Middlebury now. It was the institute that trained all the interpreters for the UN, so I thought it was really cool. And um, then I worked abroad. I worked in London for a while. I worked in Italy. And then, um, of course, what happens is you meet somebody and then you move where they are. So I met my husband and we moved back to the States. And we were first in Los Angeles. I was working for the UK government for a while doing economic development internationally um, in, in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And then we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where we are now. My husband is in a PhD program at University of Michigan, which is a very common theme amongst people you meet here. Um, the university brings a lot of people here. Um, so I've been in the field probably about seven years, 10 years at this point, um, and in Ann Arbor for about four. And my you know, experience stems across international economic development as well as regional. Um, so it's really kind of a, I, I sometimes think that it's by accident that I landed here, but then it kind of also brings it all together and everything kind of gels. Wonderful. Yeah, I love hearing how people got into economic development because, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not that, you know, they grew up with their heart set on economic development. So right. uh, it's, it's always so funny. I love hearing how everyone gets into it. It's always different. Always. Well, can you please tell us a bit about your communities? All right. So I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which a lot of people know of as the home of University of Michigan, go blue, but also, you know, it's this uh, university town, um, not that far from Detroit, so it's about 45 minutes from the Detroit metro, um, so, but it's also its own region, so Southeast Michigan is known for automotive, but Ann Arbor with the university has a very large technolo technological expertise in lots of different areas. So our organization, Ann Arbor Spark, is a 
let's see if I can get this right. It is a public-private partnership. Oh, wait, no, it's a public-private nonprofit. <laughs> so it's a an economic development organization that takes its funding from both public and private sources, um, but we're also a nonprofit. We are slightly unique in the sense that we also run an incubator. So in addition to doing what you might think of as traditional economic development, where we are working on business attraction, expansion, and retention, we're also working on the early stage companies to help them grow and start and sort of remove the barriers to entry and help fill in some of the gaps that might be present in our ecosystem. So here in Ann Arbor, that's really fun, mostly because the university provides us with a steady stream of entrepreneurs and really interesting innovations. Um, but also because the region is very stimulating. So like any college town, we might be small in population. You know, the city of Ann Arbor is only 120,000 people, but we cover the county, which is Washtenaw County, and the county to the north of us called Livingston. So the total population that we cover is close to around 500,000 people. And the major employers, of course, are the university and the health system. Um, but other than that, we have some really growing industry clusters like cybersecurity. So we have Duo Security, which just got acquired by Cisco for $2.35 billion last year. That's a really, really exciting development in Ann Arbor and one of the largest acquisitions that Cisco has ever made, sort of put us on the map. And then there are companies like Domino's Pizza, which you wouldn't think is headquartered here, but it is, and they have 800 people. And the CEO of Domino's often says that it's a tech company that happens to make pizza. So sort of that ethos that permeates Ann Arbor, which makes it a really exciting place to, to live and to work in economic development. Well, uh, what do you think some of the strengths of your organization are? So Ann Arbor Spark, is unique from, from my experience in the sense that it's a, a small region. We cover that, you know, Ann Arbor is a small place, um, but it actually, you know, has a lot of activity. So, you know, I'm used to, or I was used to having you know, international economic development. I worked in a team of 10 people in San Francisco and each of us had an industry focus. And we were very much about, like I was only working on cybersecurity and my colleagues were only working on creative and digital media. Um, and so there was a lot more specialization. Um, so here, our organization is unique in that we, and this is probably true for lots of smaller uh, local economic development organizations in that we have expertise, both individually and as teams, but we can work on any project. Um, so there's people with expertise in lots of different things and we can lean on each other for whatever we might need. So um, we will spring into action to help on any sort of project. So the best example of that is we run a large open house every year called Tech Trek. And, and it's been going on since 2015, where in downtown Ann Arbor, about 100 tech companies open their doors and we just let the public come through for about three hours on a Friday afternoon. And it's a really fun event. It started off quite small with only 800 people. And last year we had about 5,000 people coming through downtown and going door to door and checking out all these companies and really getting engaged with the ecosystem and seeing what's right in their backyard. So this is, as you can imagine, a massive event and it's not just Tech Trek now, it's sort of evolved into a wider series of events that we're calling A2 Tech 360. And we have a team of about 20 people here at Spark and we all get involved. So our, our team is special and our organization is special in that we 
we believe in the mission and we all work towards that. So regardless of what's happening, obviously there are people who own the projects, but they can call on any team to help them accomplish what, what might be happening. That sounds like a very neat program. Yeah, so it's, it's a really fun series of events and we can talk about it more later, but um, this year it's actually growing to be even bigger and it's happening in September. So we're gonna try and engage the undergraduate um, University of Michigan community a lot more during school. Oh, very cool. Okay, cool. Well, we'll have to follow up with you and see how that goes. Yeah. Well, a large part of your role is focusing on all things data. Um, so could you please share uh, what types of data you collect? Sure. So this is actually good timing because I, I was training one of our new staff members today on Salesforce. <laughs> so we, as uh, an organization, are early adopters of Salesforce. I mean, I think we started using it in 2005. Um, so there are pluses and minuses to that in terms of legacy data. But we collect um, in terms of business development specifically. So if the team is going out and meeting with about 200 companies a year, they're asking all sorts of questions. And as you can imagine, they would be questions like, how many you know, full-time employees do you have at the moment? Are you experiencing any barriers to growth? What are you planning on growing your sales, headcount, that kind of thing. Um, and also how would you describe yourself in terms of industry or industry cluster? So these are sort of the basics that we, we ask and we collect in person. But also we are collecting data always on what projects we're working on, our metrics. We, you know, we are measured on jobs and investment, of course, but also the quality of our relationships. So how do you measure that with data? And this is type, the type of my job that I really that I really enjoy. So finding those subtle, more qualitative things that we might want to capture and figuring out how to do it with data. So quality relationships we can measure in terms of how many referrals that we're making to companies. And this is one of the metrics that we decided to count in terms so that we can decide what kind of quality our relationships are. So if we're making lots of referrals for a company and then also measuring if those referrals were useful. So we follow up and we say, did that, did that make any difference to you? Was that something that, was that an, a valuable referral? Did we add value or not? That kind of thing. So here's, that's one way we can measure the quality of our relationships. And I think in general, that's sort of the value of any economic development organization is being that bridge between whatever it might be. So if it's private companies that we're helping or city government or any other of our various stakeholders, if we can help be that bridge and be a really good bridge, that's, that's our job done. Um, other types of data that we collect. So we've got, I, I mentioned briefly Salesforce, which is I would consider our internal source of data and really the value that, that economic developers can bring to a community as being the valued source of local economic data. But also there's the external data that's available from all sorts of sources, um, especially impact data source. So we use impact data source to, to calculate the economic impact of projects that we have won or that we are working on. But we also use free sources like the Census and the Bureau of Labor Statistics to add value to projects that are in the pipeline. So people are asking questions, especially if they're comparing between regions. We use the combination of our internal and our external data to really paint the picture and tell a good story about our region. Very neat. That's very interesting to hear. And I know a lot of times too, some people hear data and automatically shy away. Um, yeah. And it's 
you know, it's a tricky thing and there are so many different pieces of data and it's getting updated. So it can get, I know, confusing and hard to track and keep maintain. And so how do you keep the data that you collect updated and organized? Well, that's a great, great question. And also something that I would stress is never going to be perfect. So I think maybe the first step is to um, relinquish that control um, and to say that, you know, some, not everything's always going to be up to date or perfect. I mean, obviously I have a goal and I work towards that a lot, but, you know, it's never going to be always. So, you know, very early on in my role, I was always very stressed out about the fact that, oh, this is coming out soon. I need to update this, 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 and this, and everything hinges on this one data point. If the population changes, then, oh my God, it cascades down. So, Yes, that's true, but you know, you can, I use, our team uses uh, Asana to keep on track of, of projects and tasks like that, so I can see it coming in the pipeline. But in terms of just like daily keeping track of data and being organized, I think being, or you know, staying on track of your sources, so um, I'll speak internally first, so staying on track of Salesforce. Um, we do sort of like a little internal data audit once a year in the summertime when it's typically a little sleepier in a college town and I'll have a research intern go in and make sure that our most used accounts or say the, the biggest employers and all of the accounts that we really want to keep up to date are clean and scrubbed. And that really keeps everybody um, nice and stress-free. Uh, the external data is really staying on top of data releases. So the census is important to know when those new population numbers come out. And I'll, I'll share some learnings from my, my early days in this role. I did not keep a good list of all the content I was creating that, that relied on this data. So when we moved to our new website, I pleaded to not have any static data. So nothing that's like in table form on any of the web pages. So that way I don't have to go in and update it every single time. Obviously we have blogs and we have ebooks and PDFs and stuff like that. But if it lives somewhere on the website as a page, it is directly connected to an automatically embedded or updated source. So um, I would say in terms of keeping things straight on your website, that would be the best way to go. Wonderful. And then what data do you share with various stakeholders and what methods do you go about sharing this information? Right. So um, I think I think I'll probably strike a chord with some of the economic developers out there when I say I drew a stakeholder map for one of my interns a while ago and I used a whiteboard that I thought would be big enough and then it wasn't. <laughs> so I feel like for economic development organizations, often we we serve a wide audience. And this is beneficial in many ways, but it's also kind of challenging, especially when you're working on a piece of content or when you're thinking about a data question. So I often push our leadership team and my CEO especially to help me define the audience. It's very difficult to share data or to tell tell a good story unless you're understanding who you're telling it to. Um, a good example of this, I'll use um, our benchmarking study. So the first big project I worked on as research director was a massive benchmarking study that compared Ann Arbor to 10 university towns around the United States on about 10 different metrics. And it was super fun. I loved every minute of it. 
but our biggest issue was defining who was it for. <laughs> so yeah, we could define our, you know, we could define these regions, we could define our metrics, and then we could write the study and, you know, we're first in university research spending, great, and we're, you know, ninth in, who knows, uh, population movement, that kind of thing. But what does it mean and who are we telling the story to? So I think once I got them to nail down that this is for, like, obviously the audience is always going to be vast, but I want you to specifically write this for a company considering locating in Ann Arbor and making decisions. Okay, great. That made it so much easier. Then I could sort of tailor my message and tailor the data towards that decision-making process. So what data do, do I share with stakeholders? Um, this depends on the stakeholder, obviously. For companies that are considering locating here, they have very interesting questions. And sometimes you never know what the names of the companies are, but you can kind of work backwards from the question. You know, if this is the answer, what is the question? Uh, if they're looking for Mandarin speakers in a radius, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I think that we share data about our region widely. We write ebooks on ecosystems, we write benchmarking studies, that kind of thing to sort of help us reach out and connect with various stakeholders, be it from a community standpoint or even local government to kind of make sure that they know that about the industry and how important it is and what our ecosystem looks like. And then when we're talking about people outside of the region, that's a different stakeholder group and they have different needs. So if anything I could conclude about this would just be to know your audience. <laughs> that is great advice. And I think, you know, not exclusive to economic development. No, either. not at all. I think that's probably pretty universal. Well, and Alex, what advice would you give to someone who they know they need to start um, collecting more data, using it in their day-to-day -day economic development activities? Uh, what advice would you give to them to get started? So I think this is actually a really exciting place to be as an economic developer. Um, sometimes, you know, it's almost harder when you are already, you know, collecting data and you need to hone it or be more strategic or focused with your data because let me tell you going through a now 15 year old sales force and saying okay well we probably don't need all these fields and we should probably whittle it down a bit i i actually envy the person who can build it up from scratch so that being said um, i would definitely go about choosing some sort of crm customer relationship management system so if that's salesforce if that's something else whatever it is you need a place to put it. So all the data you're collecting cannot go in an Excel spreadsheet, and I'll fight you <laughs> if you argue with that. I think that's probably pretty well well uh, agreed upon at this point. Um, but after that, I would also recommend getting in touch with some sort of data collection consultant. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to pay them a bunch of money, but somebody who's not part of your organization who can kind of help you think through your entire business development project or economic development process. So where do you start and where do you stop? And it's often easier to think about this in terms of each function. So from a business development standpoint, it helped us a lot just as a team to define what our process was. When do we start talking to a company? When does it become a project? How do we know? And how does it become a success? And how do we know? Obviously, measuring success here is the ultimate point in collecting data. So I think really 
asking deep questions about what it is that you want to measure and how you want to measure it is the biggest point here. So start start small and then grow big. I also think that some of the intimidating part about collecting data is that people think they need to collect all of it all of all at once. And it's all it's a little easier if you can think about it in pieces. So um, I'll use an example of our marketing team. So when I first started at Spark, our marketing team was not using Salesforce at all. If, I mean, they were just logging in and looking at companies to see what we had done with them in the past. And then over time, I broke them down slowly, slowly, just to see, you know, you could potentially start capturing all those referrals that you make to, you know, agencies and local media and just see that, oh, look at that, you're you know providing all that value and you can report on this and not only report on it, but you could, you know, show it to our board to see how much work you were doing. And now they're starting to use it in how they, you know, work with our startups and the incubator and how they consult with them on marketing strategy. So it's just baby steps and you don't have to take them all at once, just one at a time, just start collecting some of your data points, know your process and get a CRM. Hey, that is great advice. Thank you so much. And it definitely, when you, I think you break it down into those smaller uh, tasks that makes a seemingly extremely daunting task, you know, seem a lot easier and more attainable. <laughs> uh, totally. And I will say that I um, do not frown on using a consultant. I have, I used, um, when we, we moved our fundraising process onto Salesforce and we hired a consultant and she was unbelievably helpful, mostly just because she was able to teach me how to do things at the same time. And I think that was one of the most crucial parts of that. So obviously there are consultants you can hire who will do it all for you and just hand you the manual and say, go. And sometimes that's useful, but I really value the consultants who can teach as well as do. So she could do it for me but she could also tell me how to do it and that's that was unbelievably valuable in understanding how the system works and then also being able to be independent later on and if we had to troubleshoot yeah what a great way to learn and extremely helpful yeah. that's awesome extremely. yeah <laughs> well can you please share with us about a project that you've worked on so i'll, I'll talk about the kla project this was well, first they were called KLA 10 core and now they are rebranded to just KLA corporation back. I think this was it, the whole thing started in 2018. Um, we got contacted by a site selector from by Deloitte who was working with a company out of California who was considering expanding or, you know, creating a new headquarters for their research arm. And it's really interesting because I think this is probably the beginning or, you know, near the beginning of what has been sort of termed the exodus out of California. Um, a lot of the larger tech companies are having a harder time hiring out there. You know, the cost of living is getting really high. So they're starting to look at the, you know, what used to be termed the flyover states to see if there could be potential um, places for them to locate. So they had a couple of site visits. They were obviously considering multiple locations. You know, Ann Arbor was not by no means on a short list at the, at the beginning. Um, but what we were able to provide for them was a very comprehensive data-driven um, RFI. So when they arrived here, we actually had a um, 
a customized map made for them, which included everything they asked for on the RFI, which, which was all of the universities, all of the industry clusters, so all the companies in each industry that they wanted to know about, where they were located, as well as all the different properties they were looking at for the day. So while they were out in the field, they could open up this map on their phones and see where they were and orient themselves in terms of talent and in terms of supply chain and in terms of competition. So I think for them that was really valuable, especially as a, you know, you've done site visits. It can be really overwhelming to be in the field and be like, where am I? Like, I this is just like any other building. I need to know where I am right now. So the map I think was really helpful for that. Um, it also didn't hurt that the CEO was a University of Michigan graduate. So obviously there are always points in an economic development project that we will never be able to influence. And sometimes it's, it's just, you know, having an alumnus on the decision-making team who can be like, you know what, I really had a great time in Ann Arbor and I have lots of good memories there. So for KLA, I think the biggest decision-making factor was their relationship with the university that they had, um, the ability for them to get all their data questions answered really promptly and for them to really place themselves and visualize themselves in market. Um, I think for for them that was one of the one of the biggest factors in their decision making. Um, and then I'll counter that with a smaller project that I worked on, which was a graduate that came out of our incubator. And one of the coolest things about running an incubator is we get to see companies from the very beginning until you know they graduate out of the incubator and have millions of dollars in funding and about 30 employees and it's just the most exciting thing ever. So I worked with a company called Industry Star who was here in our building for a while, for a you know, few years time. And I started talking to them in 2017 about the possibility of them needing new space. <laughs> and they didn't move out until 2019, so the end of last year. This is a long process. And obviously this is a project that doesn't involve that many new jobs. I mean, I think it was probably 10 new jobs, and, but they were looking for a bigger space. And for them, this was a huge deal. And it's not like the KLA deal was any more important than this one. And I think that's the point I wanna drive home here is that for the company, it felt huge. And so I was actually really proud to be able to tour them around and talk about commercial real estate and be their sort of go-between between the broker community, which can be kind of heavily sales oriented and not really thinking much about the company's needs. And then also helping them figure out what kind of space they needed. And they changed their minds a few times, which is fine with me. You know, I'm not working on commission. I can help you as long as you need it, right? So that project is really close to my heart because once they did find the space that was perfect for them, they were so happy with it. And now that they're in their new space, they're growing like crazy and they're having a great time. So those are two examples of projects that are vastly different in terms of metrics, but overall extremely satisfying for me. Wonderful, thank you so much for sharing. It's great to be able to see both calibers of projects. And like you said, both are equally important and uh, yeah, very cool, because it's always great working with the big name ones, but I also personally have a soft spot in my heart for yeah. the very small businesses that are getting started and getting off the ground. It's so cool to watch them grow.
It's really cool. And then, you know, hopefully they will become the KLAs of the world. And in the meantime, they're just going to grow great guns here in Ann Arbor and they become our own local champions for the region. And, you know, as long as they continue to have good success, we just keep, we need to keep pumping those guys out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very fulfilling to see that you yes. had a part in it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, Alex, I have a couple of wrap up questions for you. All right, let's get going. Okay, great. So the first one is, what is your biggest economic development secret to success for other economic developers out there listening? Okay, um, I don't really know if it's a secret, but I probably already said this before, and that is that um, we're all different. <laughs> so each region has its own unique uh, special sauce. Um, I think that once you find your niche um, and you understand your stakeholders and your market, um, everything really falls into place. I feel like sometimes you can fall into the trap of just trying to get every company to come to your market and really, you know, just doing this broad swath approach, applying to every RFP that comes through, that kind of thing. Um, but if you really understand your market and your strengths and what companies succeed in your market, the it's so easy. It's, it just makes sense. So you can go for the companies that will succeed in your market. So this was actually one of the things that when I first started at Spark, my predecessor, Donna Shirella, who is wonderful and retired now, tending her bees, as she would say, um, she was in the role for 21 years before I started. And I learned so much from her because she stayed on for the first month or so when I got started, which was wonderful. But she gave me this most wonderful piece of advice. She's like, you're going to get all these RFP requests from the state. And, you know, we might have buildings or sites that fit in those RFP guidelines. But she said, you really only want to apply for those that fit the requirements fully and that really fit our industry profile and of companies that have succeeded here. And if not, you know, we, may, we probably won't even get past the first round. So it'd just be a waste of your time. And second, you know, those companies will know that the moment they walk in, they'll understand that they're not, they wouldn't, they wouldn't fit here or that wouldn't be the right, you know, fit for them. So it's really about knowing your market and knowing your stakeholders. That is great advice. Yeah, she's awesome. I call Donna <laughs> occasionally and just be like, Hey, Donna, what's your piece of advice for the day? It's usually about flowers or bees, but it's important. Oh, oh that's so sweet. Well, great. And my last question to you is, what is your favorite hobby? Um, well, I got a puppy last July. Um, her name is Ruby, and she's a golden retriever, and she is hilarious and adorable. So my favorite hobby is hanging out with her, whether it's walking around. There's a lot of really good nature spots in Ann Arbor, which we haven't been able to explore very much in the wintertime, but um, it's still fun to take her out in the snow because she makes everything seem way more fun. Oh, I bet that was so cute to watch. Oh, I love puppies. They're so adorable. And they add so they much are. to your joy and happiness of life. <laughs> Even though she's a major pain, she is also a wonderful joy. And I think that is the, <laughs> that's a great analogy for life just in general. That's true. Very true. Very true. Well, Alex, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Uh, you were such a wealth of knowledge and I truly enjoyed chatting with you and I'm so, so glad you were able to take the time to join us. And I know our audience has also found this extremely helpful. So thank you so much. You're so welcome, Nicole. I appreciate the opportunity to participate in the podcast.
Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.